Welcome, everybody. Great to see you guys and everybody online and everybody over, I chewed that, everybody over at Montrose. You say it fast, people, uh, but it's hard to do. Uh, but uh, welcome, everybody, and great to, great to hang out this week. And we've been in a series here these last few weeks called Assume I Know Nothing, and we're talking about a, a beginner's guide to understanding the story of God. And uh, what we've been doing is just kind of walking through a process of saying if we were gonna if we we're gonna talk about Jesus or God or being a Christ follower from scratch, like if you had no background, if <clears throat> if you had no uh, ties to the Bible, you didn't grow up in church, nothing like that. If I was gonna like explain that to you from scratch, where would we start with that? And it's been a fun process, and for some of us, many of us here at Grace Church, like following Jesus is like a really new thing. That's really common here. Uh, that if you sometimes feel a little bit lost or a little bit like somebody must know the Bible better than I do, you're probably more normal than, than what you realize with it. And then for others of us, <clears throat> it's just kind of a clarity. If you grew up in church, uh, sometimes you got like things that were kind of plugged into you and they may be right, they may be wrong. And it's interesting to go back at, 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 uh, at God's word and just look at Jesus and see what he really said and what he's like. And then for the rest of us, the Bible says that if you're a Christ follower, uh, one of the things that you should be doing is helping other people become a Christ follower. And sometimes that feels a little bit overwhelming because you don't really like know like how to do that, what path to take. And so what this does is it lays out that path so that you can walk it. And, uh, and this series is unique because we were able to create resources around it. So uh, we wrote a book called Assume I Know Nothing. Uh, you can get that. We put together a podcast uh, reading that book. So it's like an audio version of the book. And then I did a series like this almost 10 years ago now that we also put those older conversations there as well. So on the, on the QR code, on the chairs, or if you're watching online there, it's on the website. Like all those resources are there if you want to take a deep dive and really dig at it, and, and uh, I think it'll be helpful. So it's been a great conversation, and I want to take us to the next step of it, but before I take us to the next step, I want to remind us of the first one. So we said the very first thing, uh, that if I'm thinking about following Jesus, if I'm trying to get my head around the Bible, the very first thing I have to do is I have to decide what do I do with Jesus himself, and how do I interact with him, and how do I decide what to do with what he claims about himself. Because Jesus claims to be a great God. So he says, I am the Messiah, I am the Savior, I'm the King of Kings, I'm the Lord of Lords. No one can go to heaven unless they go through me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I'm the only name under heaven by which you can be saved. And he makes those claims about himself. And we said, you kind of have to start there. Like, is Jesus a good guy? Is he like Mother Teresa or like a Billy Graham or like a Dr. King? Like great, wonderful people, but people? Or is he the great God that he says that he is? And that fundamental decision is huge. And we said before the Bible, before the church, uh, before like theology and doctrine, that is the starting point. And when I can, uh, if you ask me like, uh, Pastor Jeff, Dr. Bogue, why, why do you believe what you believe? I would say because I've chosen to believe that Jesus is a great God. And I believe the Bible not because of all of my study of the Bible. I believe the Bible because Jesus believed the Bible. 
He quoted it 283 times and taught about it even more than that. So I believe that because he did that. I value the church because Jesus valued the church. He started the church. I, allow, I have my relationships governed by Jesus' truth because I believe if you're a great God, you have all the right in the world to tell me how to, to steer my life and what to invest in. So I would go back to that. And I'd be like, no, this is because of who Jesus is. And if he's a good guy, then I would receive what he says as like solid advice. If he's a great God, that is stuff that should define and direct my life and is worthy of my worship, right? So from that starting point <clears throat> is where we have that conversation. And the reason I wanted to take a second and, and review that a little bit is, one, is because it's just hugely important. And every other thing we've talked about, which is all online, it's on the app, it's all like out there for you. Every, everything we talk about it is built off of that premise that Jesus is a great God. The other reason I wanted to bring it up is because of what we're going to talk about this weekend. So this weekend, I want to walk you through a really, really important concept in the Bible. And it's a concept that you're going to find is from the very beginning of the Bible, from the book of Genesis and the Garden of Eden all the way to the very end of the Bible and in every part of the Bible that there is in between. It's a concept that is hugely important. It's a concept that is often misunderstood. It's a concept that has been highly abused to control people. And it's a concept that is usually engaged in, in way too shallow of a level. It's something that should impact us deeply, but we kind of interact with it on a real surface level. And as I walk you through this concept this weekend, uh, it's gonna be interesting because for some of us, this is gonna be tough. Like if you don't wanna have a tough conversation, you should probably run out and grab coffee right now or pinch the kid and make him cry so you can leave, like whatever you gotta do. Like it's gonna be tough for some of us. Some of us is gonna hit in a very personal way. Like as I'm talking, you're gonna think, did she email him? Did, did he tell him? Like, you're going you're gonna to wonder if it's talking about for you. And it affects all of us. So this is one of these concepts in the Bible that if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, it's super important for you because it's huge. It's a massive piece of having a relationship with Jesus. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, it's a massive part of our relationship with Jesus. It's part of how we kind of maintain it and keep it strong, okay? And it all comes from the heart and the mind of a great God who loves us and is making a way for us to be close to him, right? So the concept we're gonna talk about this weekend is the concept of the repentance of sin. The repentance of sin. And when you think about the repentance of sin, it's a big, big part of what our relationship with God looks like and even our relationship with each other looks like and it's woven all through the Bible. So if you just go to the second part of the Bible, uh, the New Testament, you'll find this all over the place. So you're going to read things like this. This is from the, uh, the Apostle Peter. It says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Uh, this is the John the Baptist. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, this is Jesus himself. Uh, he says, not at all, uh, you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And so you'll, you're going to hear that again and again. You go to the Old Testament, 
You're going to hear the Old Testament leaders, we call them prophets. Uh, the Old Testament prophets are going to say, you need to repent and turn back to God. Sometimes they're talking to like the country, uh, the people of Israel, and then sometimes they're talking to an individual. And you'll find this again and again and again all the way through the book. And like I said, for those of us, and I'll kind of walk us through it as we go, for those of us who are not yet a follower of Jesus, this is a massive, big deal that God wants you to get your head around. And for those of us who are already a follower of Jesus, this is like a normal, natural part of our life and our interaction with God, okay? So the repentance of sin. So what does that mean? What is repentance of sin? So let's just talk about it here for a second. So repentance just means this. Repentance in the Bible means to turn around or return. So the whole concept of this is this, and we talked about this about three weeks ago when we talked about the idea of having choice. But the whole concept of it is this. God created humanity so that we would be in a right relationship with him in which he could bless us. And when I say bless us, I don't mean like big TV, new car, get rich, your hair grows back kind of stuff. I, I mean the spiritual deep blessings, fulfillment, right relationship with God, the escape of sin, the certainty of heaven. God created us to be close to us so that he could bless us. And what humanity did, starting in the Garden of Eden, when God looked at humanity and said, I want to give you a choice, you can choose to be independent, it's up to you, or you can choose to follow and, and walk with me in the life that I want to give you. Do you want to go in the way of life, or do you want to go in the way of independence? Humanity said, I would rather be independent. And Adam and Eve walked away from the life that they were created to live with God, and sin was introduced into the world. So the idea of repentance is this. I was created to be in a close relationship with God but I have left that relationship. I'm walking away from God, and I'm getting further from God, and the Bible would say that that's part of what sin does. Repentance is the idea that I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to return to where I was created to be. I'm walking away from God. God makes me aware of that. He makes me aware of my sin. I ask the forgiveness or I confess that sin. I repent of it. That's what the John and Peter and everybody was talking about. I repent of it. I turn around. I don't just acknowledge my sin, but I return then to God. And I return to the relationship that I was created to be in. That's the biblical concept of repentance. So repentance is to turn around or to return. And then sin, sin is everything that is wrong. Everything that is wrong, every lie that's told, every selfish motive, everything that's broken, every broken relationship, sin is everything that's wrong. So all the wrong that has been done to you, the abuse that's been done to you, the abandonment that's been done to you, the lies that have been told to you, the selfish interaction that's been done to you, and those things that you have done to other people, that is, that is the wrong in the world. And God would look and say, I didn't create you to live in sin or to be trapped. Or the Bible words, uses the word bondage, enslavement, and death. I didn't create you. I created you to live in life. But you sinned. You chose to do things that were wrong. You did that willfully. 
because we've all told a lie. We've all been selfish. We've all, right? And when I repent, I'm turning from that sin and I'm repenting and I'm returning to God. And that's the idea of the repentance of sin. Now, this is where this gets tricky because it's pretty easy to like explain that on a high level. What's hard when it comes to repentance of sin is the concept has been abused a ton to control people. The concept is misused and the concept is often interacted with on a very shallow level. So let me just real quick talk about what repentance is not, okay? So repentance in the Bible it is not spiritual shame. It's not spiritual shame. So the whole idea of excommunication, the whole idea of a scarlet letter, if you're familiar with that concept, the whole idea that your, your sin is hung over your head and you are controlled with it. That is not the biblical concept of repentance. Repentance is also not angry. It's also not angry. Uh, I grew up in a tradition where you got yelled at. Uh, so somebody said to me the other day, they said, you know what I like about Grace Church, what I like about you? And I was just figuring it was my sexiness. But they, they, said, uh, they said, what I like about Grace Church is you don't yell at us. And, and I was like, you, just, you actually just said something very kind to me. I don't yell at you. And they're like, why don't you yell at us? I'm like, because we're adults. <laughs> like, we should be able to talk. And I grew up getting yelled at. And there was an anger. Here's your sin and here's your list and this is why it's horrible and this is why you're awful and this is... And I would get yelled at and yelled at and screamed at. And if you can think of the guy on the street corner or you can think of the person, you got an image in your mind somewhere of somebody screaming at people about their sin uh, toward people that have no idea what they're talking about. So the biblical concept of anger is not, of, of repentance, is not steeped in that anger. When the Bible talks about the anger of God, the Bible is talking about his righteousness or his justice, not his loss of emotional control. So repentance is not shame, it's not anger, and it's not a, a callous admission of sin. It's not a callous admission of sin. If you have children... Uh, you have sent them to dutifully apologize for something they did to a sibling. Heidi and I have six children. This is a normal or was a normal part of our life. Like, go apologize to your brother. All I did was hit him with a baseball bat, right? True story. Like, go, go apologize to your brother. So they'll go, and, sorry, right? That's a callous admission of sin. Sorry, right? Sorry, I did it. But the reason I did it was that you did X, Y, that is not repentance. That's actually not even an apology. So that is not what the Bible is talking. I, I know I drink too much. I know that I'm supposed to. I know that the Bible doesn't. That's not repentance. Uh, that's almost more of a mockery of repentance than a real repentance. So the Bible is not talking about that. Not talking about shame. You blew it and that's going to hang over your life for the rest of your life. Not anger. I'm just going to scream at people. It makes me somehow feel better. And, and it's also not a callous admission of it. So what is it? So I want to show you this. Uh, if you've got a Bible, go to Psalms 51. And Psalms 51 is a really, really interesting psalm. Because there's a guy in the Bible named King David. King David was a guy that loved God 
but really uh, messed up his life so a couple times, actually. One of the times he messed up his life is uh, he was supposed to be out leading his armies into war, and instead he stayed back. When he stayed back, he saw another man's wife taking a bath, turned him on. He called her over. He slept with her. And he got her pregnant. And in order to cover his crime, what he did was he called her husband in and tried to get him to sleep with her to cover the crime. That didn't work. So he sent his husband, her husband, by order to the front lines and made sure he was killed so that David's adultery was covered. Horrific stuff. So David's an adulterer. David's a, a conniver. David's a schemer. David is a, a murderer. And so a guy comes up to him. You see this in the Old Testament. This guy named Nathan is kind of like a pastor. He confronts David about his sin. David, you're supposed to be a man after God's own heart. You have walked far away on purpose. Right? David repents. And he acknowledges his sin. I'll walk you through here in a moment. And he returns to God. He turns around and he returns to God. And he gets back in right relationship with God. And he's writing about that process in Psalms chapter 51. And I want to walk you through about half of this psalm here today. But this is the reflection of David who has committed these horrific sins. It's his reflection and his prayer of repentance for his sin to God. So we'll read it and then we'll break it up a little bit, okay? So verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but your desire, you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sin, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back the, my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you uh, again. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. And he goes on, and you should read the rest of it, but I'm going to stop there. So what you see here in Psalms 51 is you see David, who has walked far away from God, and you see him in repentance, right? And I want to show you what that looks like so that we can clarify it, so that we can understand it, and so that we can engage the repentance of sin on the, on the levels, so to say, that God would want us to do. So repentance, it's not shame, it's not anger, it's not callous recognition. What is it? 
So the Bible would teach us this, just using Psalm 51. The first thing is this. Repentance is the recognition of sin. It's a recognition of sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin is what David says when he's repenting to God. It's the recognition of sin. Ready? Okay. Sin, sin is not mistakes. Sin is not poor choices. Sin is actually willful decisions that cut against the desires of God. And when David was repenting, he didn't say, God, man, I really messed up. Big mistake. God, I made some bad choices. See, that is, oftentimes that is a callous recognition of what's actually gone on. David looked and said, I have sinned, and in the Psalms, he says, and I've sinned against you. And I have sinned at the deepest level of my soul, and my sin was willful. I did it on purpose, right? Now, when we're talking about the recognition of sin, we're not talking about getting a list of all the sins the Bible lists in the Bible and making sure that we don't hit, hit, uh, hit any of them. The reason that the Bible gives us lists, Pastor Joe walked us through this last weekend, is not so that we have a comprehensive list of what to do and not do. The reason that we have a list is so that we can understand the directions and the desires of God's heart. God's heart is this, it's not that. And there's a list that clarifies that. And our sin is not that I didn't do this or I did do this. Sin is the willful ignoring or walking away from God's heart. When I was a teenager, uh, I had to say tell, tell this story. So te- moms, dads, if your teenagers do what I did, it's their fault. It ain't my fault. Don't call me. But when I was a teenager, there was a time in my life that we thought it was funny at my school that if you had a last name that matched a street sign, we would steal the street sign, and then we would take the street sign, and we would put it in your locker. And then the next day, you would open up, and you're like, oh, there's my name. And for some reason, we thought that that was the glory of what it meant to be in high school. So there was a time. We didn't steal stop signs. We didn't steal yield signs. We kind of had enough and you know, common sense to do that kind of stuff. But if it was a street sign, it is gone. So there was a time that we were doing that. I had my own car. And we would go out on Friday nights and we would steal street signs. So one day, my mother needed to borrow my car. And Phyllis borrowed the car. She went to the grocery store, apparently. When she went to put her groceries in the car, she found the trunk full of street signs. And so Phyllis came home. Phyllis had a look. You knew immediately that it would, you'd be better, I don't know, you know, jumping off a bridge than dealing with Phyllis, right? So Phyllis came on. She had that look. And I kind of forgot that the street signs were in there. So I couldn't figure out what she was upset about. So Phyllis was like, what have you done? I was like, oh, man, that's, that's an, un- mom, that's like an unfair question because there's so many options. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure what to confess to right now. She's like, what have you done? I was like, I don't know. And she said, what was in the back of your car? Which, again, I was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> you know exactly what was in the back of my car. And she's like, I found these street signs. I was like, "Woo." Just the street signs. And so 
I was like, yeah. She goes, what are, what are these? I was like, I had my friends. That was the first thing I did. I was like, my friends, they did it. I started giving names, you know, phone numbers. And, and she was like, no. She's like, what are you guys doing? So I was like, oh, we thought it was funny, hilarious, this and that and everything. And she's like, you should not be doing this. You should be in jail. It's illegal. You're probably going to federal prison. And so I was like, mom, you're making too big of a deal out of it. And she's like, I'm not making a big deal out of it. You're stealing something. And I said, come on, mom. Come on, Phyllis. Like, you got to be kidding me. And I, I said to her, basically, you never said don't steal. There's no law that I've seen that says you can't take a street sign. It's public property. It's one of those attitudes. And I'll never forget what she said to me. Because I was trying to blow her, like blow it off and like kind of minimize it. And she looked at me and she said, are you telling me that if I was in the car with you, you would have done this? I'm like, <clears throat> Phyllis, she, she's a wise woman. Especially if she wanted to entrap you in your own words, right? That's the idea of sin. It's not, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't, come on, Jeff, David, I didn't kill anybody. No, no, no. It's the willful nature. Are you, are you telling me, are you telling me that if Jesus, if your heart was fully vested, really passionate, governed by a great God, that these are the decisions that you would have made? So sin, repentance of sin, it, it, it starts with like the acknowledgement of it. I, I'm not just being grumpy with my spouse. I'm being unloving to God's daughter. And it grieves his heart. I'm not just being cold to my husband. I'm being unloving to God's son. I'm not just, you know... I give God a little bit here and there. I'm withholding. I'm, the Bible says I'm robbing from God. I'm not just a little poor, never hurt anybody. No, I, I'm, I'm actually sexually abusing somebody that God loves by using their body for my own pleasure. It's sin. And repentance starts like there. Now remember, it's not shame. It's not anger, but it's not callous. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, when the Bible says, when the prophets and Jesus says, turn from your sin, what God is saying is, you are walking down a path of spiritual death on purpose. And if you want spiritual life, you have to repent it's it's the beginning of receiving salvation so to say because I recognize the sin and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ me repenting and staying close to the one who I claim to love so I repent for salvation and I practice repentance for the health of the relationship, so to say. 
and it's a normal part of our life, but it has to, we have to be dealing with sin, not weaknesses and mistakes, and, but things that actually violate willfully the heart of God. Now, David lays that down, and then you kind of see it on another level, because repentance recognizes sin, and then repentance, one who's repentant is wrecked by sin. And this is what he says. It's fascinating. He says, for I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me. Fascinating word. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right uh, in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Now remember, sin is not shame. So what is he saying when he says, my sin haunts me? He's not saying that God is shaming me. But he says it haunts me, and by the way, what you say about sin, the consequences of sin, is just, I'm not arguing. Because you are a just God, you are a loving God, and so if you say it's sin, it's sin. But it haunts me day and night because of the magnitude of our sin. Sin is not shame. It, is, it might be conviction, but it's not false guilt. It's not shame, it's not guilt. What is David saying? David is saying this, repentance, the one who is repentant is wrecked by sin, and what that means is this. It means that they have a full awareness of the depth of the pain and the impact of their sin. That when I repent, I'm embracing the depth, and I have a full awareness of the impact of my sin. That's what he's saying. David's saying, like, when I start, when I, real, when I admit that I sin, and now I think about what I did, I see it on another level, and another level, and another level, how that impacted the people around me. Not from a position of shame, not from a position of a false guilt, but from a position of how far I have removed myself from my closeness and my relationship with God. Now, ready? The failure to be wrecked by sin and the failure to embrace the depth and the impact of our sin is the number one source of our relational pain and our separation with God and with each other. Catch that? You should write that down and get a tattoo. The failure to, to understand the depth of the impact of our sin is the number one source of our relational pain and separation with God and with each other. This is how this works. Ready? The deeper the, deeper the recognition of sin, the deeper the healing of grace and mercy. When I look at God and I say, sorry, God, had an affair with Bathsheba, right? First of all, I don't mean it. Secondly, what am I saying about my need for restoration? Get over it, God. Sorry I yelled at you, husband. Sorry, you're just so difficult to deal with. Sorry, Mom. Sorry I called you name. Sorry, wife. Sorry. See? And I'm playing, but isn't that what it sounds like? 
And when someone throws you a callous response, and you're there saying, wait a minute, you wounded me. You, you broke my trust. You violated our vows. You, 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 you devastated. I thought it was a friendship. Sorry. And when I interact that way, what happens is this. There's actually no opportunity to receive grace and forgiveness because in essence I'm saying I don't want it because I don't need it. So when we look at sin and then we look at God and we see our sin differently than God sees our sin, part of the reason why you have separation from God is because we're not wrecked by our sin. When we look at God and say, I'm a good guy, it's no big deal. God's so uptight. And Jesus is like, I, die. I died for this. And it's no big deal? I said a prayer one time and whatever, you know. I'm gonna, what, it cost me my life for this. And, and I know what the Bible says, but it's not, that, it's not the end of the world. Like, that's the response? And David is not, when he says this, he's, when he says it haunts me, he's not living in shame. He's saying, I am willing to allow the depth of the impact of me walking away from you, because I have sinned against you and you alone, to change me. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, this is what, this, when we look at Jesus, like Jesus is like, I came, I lived, I taught, I suffered, I died for you. What, what, how do you think he views your need for him? And so part of me embracing the forgiveness of sin and the power of Jesus in my life is me looking and saying, wait a minute. I'm going to believe what Jesus says about himself, but I also have to believe what Jesus says about me. And he says that my sin is killing me spiritually. At what level should I embrace that? And then as a Christ follower, the Bible's interesting. The Bible says that once we are a follower of Jesus and our sins have been forgiven, our salvation has been secured by the, the deposit of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So why do we keep dealing with our sin? Why would we keep dealing with our sin? I asked this to a group of fellows one time, and I asked it this way. I said, you, you know why we keep dealing with our sin? I asked it this way. I said, why do you rake your leaves? Why do you rake your leaves? Tell me. The yard looks nicer and all that. That's not really why you rake your leaves. Why do you rake your leaves? Because if you don't rake your leaves, what happens? The grass dies. So as a Christ follower, the reason I deal with my sin is not because I'm suddenly afraid I'm going to go to hell because there's no condemnation. The reason I deal with my sin is because I want this relationship with Jesus to be vibrant. And it's really hard to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus while having an addiction to pornography. It's really hard to have a, a vibrant relationship with Jesus while I hate my dad who hurt me with everything in me. It's really hard to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus while living a totally self-centered lifestyle. The, the leaves just kill in the grass. 
And when you remove that sin, when you repent and return, when you remove that sin, what happens is that thing that was bringing relational death is now removed and all the life that God wants to give can cause that to grow again. The same thing happens between us. Same thing happens between us. Part of the reason why the person you love cannot let go of what you did is because you've never been wrecked by it. They, they actually haven't had the opportunity to forgive you at the level they want to because we won't admit it. Part of the reason why your parents would still view you as immature because you haven't been wreck, wrecked by your rebellion against them. You just kind of glossed it over, kind of moved on. We all got numb and we exist with each other. See? And David in Psalms, he's like, I am haunted by the, like when I think about what I did to you, God, and what I did to the people around me, not shame, not guilt, but on another level, this is the impact of my sin, which by the way means that this is the power of your forgiveness and the power of your grace, and that changes me at the core of who I am. So a repentant person recognizes sin. A repentant person is wrecked by that sin. And then here's the third thing. A repentant person removes that sin. Removes that sin. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. This is the idea. What I want the most is I want to be close to you. So anything that's keeping me from being close to you, I want out of my life. Ready? Regardless of how much that thing has become a part of my life. Jesus uses the illustration in Matthew. He says, if your eye, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. And Jesus isn't pushing self-mutilation. What he's talking about is he's talking about radical relationship health. If my tone of voice makes my wife feel like a little child getting yelled at by an unhealthy dad, I need to change my tone of voice. There's nothing in the Bible that says tone of voice. There's a lot, actually, but don't argue with me. Remove it. If there's a barrier between us, if there's a barrier in friendship, if there's a, if there's a personality, if there's a preference, if there's a sin, I'm not finding ways to minimize that sin. I'm not finding ways to rationalize that sin. I'm finding ways to remove that sin from me. Ready? And the one who is the great God gets to define what is a sin and what isn't. So regardless of social and cultural shifts, regardless of what's accepted or not accepted at a certain time and place, it's what God says through his word, the desires of his heart, regardless of how that impacts my wants, my desires, and my definitions of truth. 
And a repentant person is just a person, you look at another person, you look at God, and you say, I don't care what it costs me, I don't care what it means, I don't care how I have to change, if there is something between me and you, I want it gone. So sin is recognized, sin wrecks, and then, and then sin is removed. And repentance is going to evolve or involve that removal of sin. And then the fourth thing is this. Repentance equals restoration. So repentance has a restoration to it. This is David, Psalms. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain of my guilt. Don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and make me willing to obey you. And what David is doing is he's looking at God and he's saying to God, God, I need you. I need you to restore me. Because I walked away. And I decided, this wasn't mistakes, it wasn't poor choices, it wasn't unintended consequences, it wasn't how I, my identity, it wasn't my family dysfunction, it wasn't, it was sin. My sin affects me, you, Jesus, and everybody around me on deep, deep levels. I will remove that from me. And then I'm kind of looking at you and saying that mercy and grace and forgiveness you keep talking about, that's, that's still on the table, right? And what God does is he says, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a God who is abundant in grace, who lavishes grace, is abundant in mercy. I want to forgive. I'm like a father waiting on a son who has rebelled to come to his senses and come home. When you start coming to me, I start running to you because there's nothing I want more than for you to be back with me where you were created to be in the first place. And guys, right here, ready? The hardest thing I'm gonna teach you this weekend, the hardest thing is not that you're a sinner because if we're honest, we all know that we are. It's not that sin should haunt you because for some of you, you need to soften your heart and for a lot of you, you need to trust God's grace because shame and guilt is a really easy sell for you. It's not the removal of sin because that just makes sense. The hardest thing I'm gonna have to teach you or I need to teach you is about restoration. I like to say this. The hardest thing to believe in the whole Bible is that salvation is by grace through faith alone. That there is a God that loves you so passionately and loves you so deeply who knows full well that you are a rebel spiritually in your heart and you are willingly walking away from him and you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. And the Bible says this, while we are doing that, while we are still sinners, that God gave his life for us. And me repenting is not me saying, I'm not drinking again, I'm not cheating again, I'm not, because you're gonna do it or you're gonna do it in your heart. Me repenting is me looking and saying that grace, that unmerited favor, that mercy, that love, that salvation is the 
only thing that can put me in right relationship with you. And the only way for me to get that is not to earn it. I can't buy it. I can't religious my way to it. I just have to receive it. And the way that I receive it is I acknowledge that I need it. And the deeper levels that I acknowledge that I need it, the more the mercy and grace of God becomes real to me, unearned and unpurchased, but freely and abundantly, the Bible uses the word lavishly, given. And a huge part of repentance is falling on my knees, so to say, and saying, I am, I am a, I'm an object of mercy. I have nothing to offer, nothing to give. You're right. You're right about my sin. You're right about the impact. You're right about the getting it out of my life because all it does is destroy, hurt me, people, and me and you, God. And you're equally right about your love, your forgiveness, your grace, your compassion, and your mercy. A God that's angry does not offer those things. He just deep fries you. A God that is shameful does not erase your sin and make your heart whiter than snow like David said. He rubs your nose in it and won't let you up for air. And a people who are not callously responding to God kind of stand before him stripped, broken, and naked saying the only thing the only plea I can make is, is the cross. What you did for me, not what I did or can do for you. And the Bible says that when we interact with Jesus in that way, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, that is the beginning of your salvation. And if you're a follower of Jesus already, that is the pattern of it. I'm not repenting of my sin so I don't go to hell. I just don't want dead spots in my lawn. And that's why the Bible from beginning to end would look and say, yes, this is how you begin to interact with God. You repent of your sin and turn to God. And this is how you continue because all of us, like sheep, are prone to wander. And I have to turn around. I have to return. Right? So David sums all this up and he says this. He says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. David did not look at God and say, God, you know, got her pregnant and killed a guy. What do you want? You, know, you want me to, you want a temple? What do you want? You want, you want some money for the temple building program? What do you want? You want, you want penance? 
And David recognized this interacting with God, and he says, says, the only thing you want is a broken spirit. I'm completely dependent upon your grace and your mercy. I have nothing else. I'm wrecked. I'm haunted by how sinful I am. You won't reject that, and you won't reject a repentant heart. When, When I turn and start coming home, you're not going to reject me. You're going to open your arms to me. And instead of fearing the wrath of an angry father, I'm running to the heart of a loving father. Because when I am repentant, having nothing, what I land on, what I remember is that all you want from me is me. And so I go home. I go home. And from salvation all the way through, like, we'll call it spiritual maturity. Repentance. It's not a negative thing. It's a relational thing. Repentance of sin. Is something that takes us to the heart of the Father and allows us to go home again and again, right? Okay. What I want to do is I want to give us a minute here. So um, the band will come out. Why don't you bow your heads and like close your eyes? And I just want to like talk through something here, okay? So just take a deep breath. We've just talked about a lot. Take a deep breath and just talk to Jesus for a moment and invite him into this moment with you, right? All right. I want to talk to three types of people, okay? Here's the first one. If you are not a follower of Jesus, and this whole series has been about, you know, trying to get your head around that, and you've, you've kind of stuck with it. Thank you, by the way, for doing that. It's huge. But the Bible would say that Jesus wants from you, at the beginning, if you look and say, okay, I believe that he's a great God, not just a good guy. What do I do? What do I do? The Bible would say, what I want you to do is I want you to repent of your sin. You've walked away from God. I'm going to turn. I'm going to walk to God. And if you've never done that, if you've never asked Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and accepted salvation, that's a gift from him, that I encourage you right now to do that, if, if you're ready. And from your heart to his, your words, just tell him, Jesus, I, I agree. When you say I'm a sinner, you're right, I agree. When you say I was built for something else, I feel it. Something's wrong, something missing. And just go home. Go home to a loving father 
God's not mad. He's not wagging his finger at you. He's waving you home, waiting to embrace you. And the repentance of sin is you turning and running back to the God that you were created to be with. I want to talk to those of us who are believers now. Guys, some of you got big secrets, big addictions, big admissions. You know what God's word says, you just don't care anymore. Big dead spots in your lawn. And you wonder why your faith isn't vibrant and it's not alive and it's not real and it's not personal. Well, it's, it's that, it's that. And a God who loves you, forgave you, and he forgives you once. It's not necessarily that you're in danger of going to hell. You're just not enjoying a foreshadowing of heaven. And the confession of sin, the repentance of sin. Right? So I would encourage you, your heart to God's heart, your words... What has not been confessed? You've sinned against God and God alone. And for some of us, that sin has separated us from people. And that cold marriage bed and that distant friendship and that broken, everybody's tense when I go to mom and dad's. Maybe there's a depth of repentance you need to have to people. Truly asking for their forgiveness, recognizing the depth of your impact. So the Bible says we confess our sins to one another because it heals us, it helps us. Here's the third group. Some of us who are his followers, we have been asked and we haven't been willing to forgive. And dad's as sorry as he can be. And your ex is as sorry as they can be. What else are they gonna do? But we've kept a record of wrongs not giving the same grace and mercy that we are so dependent on. So repentance has been asked for by the offender and maybe now by you. But all of this breaks wounds. So Jesus, in these moments, above everything, would you let us trust your heart? Would you let us depend on your grace and your mercy and forgiveness for salvation, for restoration, and even for the extension of healing to others? And God, would you, in these still moments, would you meet us in these very deep places?